Jason Hill is a multi-instrumentalist known for inventing, building, and mastering his own unusual instruments, which help create his unique scores and productions. Hill is also the lead singer, guitarist, and producer for the band Louis XIV. He has produced, written records, and otherwise worked with such artists such as The Killers, David Bowie, Ariel Pink, The White Stripes, and many more. Hill now spends most of his time as a film composer working with the acclaimed director David Fincher. Jason worked on the psychological thriller film Gone Girl and has since worked on many Fincher projects such as the Emmy award-winning series Mindhunter. This is Jason Hill. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on here. Uh, I want to get right into it. And before we kind of talk about the stuff you're doing now, um, want to kind of rewind a little bit. Uh, you know, it's been really fun too because I've had a couple guests on the podcast who are, you know, musicians and have kind of gone through this career and this life and it's so fun to kind of hear the early beginnings and where what sparked this you know this life that you've you've lived and so I want to go back to the early days you know whether it's your childhood or you know school or what, whatever you, I, I guess the question is what point in your early life as a kid did you you know want to get into music I knew from the I mean I I, I don't know if if I necessarily wanted to like when the the itch really came, I know from a very early on age, I was even I, I like I'd written a song at like let's see, let me think how old I was because it was I was probably like seven ish or something like that. I don't know, under ten somewhere. Uh, where I remember writing one of my first songs, and it was because my brother was like a big police fan and. Um, I kind of ripped off the melody to King of Pain and wrote my own words. And uh, so I remember writing my first song, but I didn't play any instruments. My, my parents had like tried to get me to do like this Yamaha or Suzuki method or something. Suzuki, I think it was piano, like learn how to play piano. And apparently my neighbor, my next door neighbor just talked to me during this like class or something the whole time. And so and, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have taken to it because it was taught to like sort of math, although I, I wasn't really given a chance. So, and there was a piano in the house, but it was out of tune. So there was like, there was like, so I would go to the piano and it, but it didn't sound right. So it's like, you know, that's, that's one of the worst things I think you could do is have an out of tune piano for it for somebody that's trying to learn how to play music and stuff, because it just doesn't make any sense. So it's hard to like put it together, you know? Um, but I didn't, but definitely by the age of 12 or so, I knew. Um, and certainly when I picked up a guitar for the first time, which was probably 13 ish, um, I knew I played an E chord. It was like, Oh fuck, the world had changed. And, and, and it was like, I, is it, it was that's my dog Fia. Fia relaxed. <laughs> it's her job to guard from all the the neighboring dogs coming into the house and attacking me. <laughs> the guard um, dog. She's, yeah. She sounds like she's doing a good job of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely knew from the point of like once I played an E chord, it was like oh this this is it, and then everything else went by the wayside. Like I I was a really good tennis player, you know, uh, growing up because my brother played, and so he was older. So I played as a very young age and pretty much quit by the once I picked up a guitar. Like, like I was I was so good. Like I went to Australia and toured and did all these things. Like when I was twelve, which was, or yeah, I guess right before 
I started really getting into music. This was sort of my last hurrah. It was like being a 12 year old kid with all these like 18 year old kids in um, Australia, New Zealand on this tennis tour, just sort of like left to my own devices, which was amazing because nowadays nobody would ever let their kid just kind of go for a month to Australia with an 18 year old chaperone and like a 24 year old chaperone or something like that. And so we were just, but, um, but music really just took to me. Like I'd hear melodies in my head growing up, uh, like especially I remember when I was on the tennis court, I would kind of pass the time by hearing these melodies in my head. They were like little symphonies in my head, but I didn't exactly know, or like, I don't really remember exactly what I knew about them, you know? And then I picked up a guitar and realized, oh yes, this is all music. I mean, I'm sure I knew it was music, but it was like, oh, but then it was very frustrating because I couldn't translate what was in my head to my fingers. You know, like that's that that became a oh fuck moment of like, this is this is hard. This is frustrating because I I hear things but I can't do them. And it was like I always sort of like attributed it to getting out of a uh, like taking a hot shower and the mirror is like foggy when you get out. That's what it's like when you first sort of discover music. Uh, at least for me it was and then little by little that fog lifted and I could see sort of my reflection my reflection and that reflection was music it was really like the ability to do what I wanted to what came in my head um and it's still hard at times you know to like hear something and figure out what is that but it becomes easier and easier over time and whatnot but I, I knew by the time I was say 12-ish or 13 it was nothing else I was going to do I had no plan b I was never going to do anything else with my life there was never 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 a thought about it it was just this is what I'm going to do I remember I was quite a Nazi about to all my friends uh that that had the fortune or misfortune of being in one of my bands growing up because the moment I learned an e chord I started a band and I pretty much have never been not in a band until that moment. I mean, I've been on a massive hiatus for, with my band Louis the Fourteenth, but um, but it's still technically my band, and and uh, I'm still technically in the band, you know. But like, right. But it's since twelve, I've never not had a band. Actually, there was a time when I remember I was nineteen for a month. I did, I wasn't in a band. I remember oh, that wow. specific. Um, but like other than that, it was like always a band. And, and then, you know, I'd be like, "What do you mean you got soccer practice? We have band practice. Fuck that. Quit soccer." This is a band. You're either in the band or you're not bad. Get, get I, your you know, ass here and play some tunes. <laughs> totally. And I was, I, but I think every band needs that. If, if you're going to be, if you're going to have a successful band, you definitely need a dictator of some sort. True democracy does not work because it just won't. I mean, I know there's certain bands that try to pretend that like Pearl Jam and this and that, but I don't think that's really the case. I think everybody in that band is just, has figured out their role and they do their thing well you know um but i assume like in many ways like eddie vedder still steers that ship quite a bit uh i don't know but but i think every band needs that sort of person that is going to push no matter what to succeed and that was that was sort of me um because I, like i said yeah, i just had never any other inkling i just was i just loved playing music and recording music it was mostly i loved writing and recording that was my true true thing uh 
for a while I really enjoyed playing live, but but I more enjoy making something from scratch. My only bits of playing live that I would really, really take to. I mean, I love traveling the world. That was just fantastic. Uh, but I just liked making up like my my solos every night for some guitar solos. You know, I would sing and play guitar and stuff. In my early bands, I, I just would sing. I would just would play guitar. Um, and I'd write songs and stuff, but uh, when I every like every night, I just loved new solos because that's the part where I could really invent and stretch out and and change things and and we were jamming and stuff. That's the stuff I did, like writing. I, I the idea of like once I write a song, I really could care less about ever playing it again. And that <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that separates me from I think other different other people, not in a good or bad way, just a different different thing where. I don't really care to like if I write a song two, three days later, I'll forget it, you know, how to play it or the words of it. Like, cause I'm a firm believer in the analytical part of the mind will destroy creation. If you let it, you know, you have to write with this sort of part of your mind that uh, just reacts and, 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 and just spits it out. And then the analytical mind, as like a carpenter would, you know, sort of comes in and starts to help craft that thing and make sense of what it is and its potentiality. But if you let the analytical mind react to before the other one, you'll fuck it all up. And and um, I just like to create and write. And, and, you know, ever since I was a little kid, my gift was not necessarily that I have was like born with perfect pitch or have this you know, ability to virtuosity ability or anything like that. I mean, I can play most instruments now. I can at least hack on most of them, you know, here or there. Uh, but my gift was uh, the idea, like the ideas. I, I would always have ideas, even though as a little kid, you know, my mom would call me Mr. Idea Man as a little like three-year-old because I, I was just all, like, what about this? What about that? You know, like I was just, I just wanted to make stuff. And I'm still You're curious. Yeah, I'm curious, very curious. So, and that's what's guided me this whole way through. So, that's amazing. I mean, there's something also to to speak on on even just like the art of just jamming, right? Getting into a studio and just not really having this pressure to you know record a hit or write this beautiful yeah. song. It's more so just getting in there. Like I had a friend um, who would take me to uh, a friend of his that super talented musician, but he would get like you know eight to 10 of his buddies in in a room and they were yeah. all on different instruments and just jam for like three hours you know oh just, i i, I love stay doing up till, it till yeah stay up till two in the morning have some beers just like jam and there's no pressure and i i always would beg him to let me to you know come back just to listen even though i wasn't a musician yeah. myself sure. i would just sit there and just be in awe at how first of all how talented all these guys were together but also just yeah. the rawness of that right they're not yeah. playing any pre-existing or pre-written songs or anything they're just they're just it's like this flow of music and that's totally. that's to me like the true art of it and, you know i've always kind of geared or dabbled into you know my ear tends to lean towards more experimental kind of stuff too that might be you know a little yeah. out there and it's and it's fun just because it's like there's no obviously you have to appreciate pop music or structure or this and that and different things but for me it's just like I, I love that. I love that rawness uh, of music. Um, so that's I, great. I, mean, I, love, I love it too. I mean, I love 
just jamming and and creating without having to you know um like oh let's play the song here's the song like somebody teaching the song i just like i don't want to know what i don't want to know what the song is let's just <laughs> see where this thing can go as this symbiotic sort of thing you know uh I, yeah I, I mean i i i have parties like that all the time where um friends will come in and just have we'll set up yeah my studio will do it We've done that you better text me when you do that jason yeah, I will. I will. I haven't done one for a while, uh, but I've been planning on actually doing it. And I will let you know because it's a blast. You get just all these musicians, great musicians around, and then everything's set up so people just come and go and jump in and on stuff. And it, and it really works when you get the right the right people around too, because you have to leave your ego at the door a bit. Uh, it, it, those those don't work when there's somebody that has something too much to prove and they and they and they just they need to like show off it's right. like once you can get rid of that and usually the, if they're good enough musicians they do have that out they don't need to 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 go hey look at me check this out let me you know like then it becomes just this thing moving as a one organism and it's absolutely glorious. we had that actually at the studio for um for I do quite a bit of that because I'm a I'm a big one take sort of guy. Like I I don't I I think it's best once the analytical mind takes over, it will destroy things if you let it. So I'm a huge fan of just record, record, record all the time. Press record. Don't know what you're going to play. Go play it and then listen back to it and recognize the genius in that phrasing because too often. Somebody will go, oh, okay, now I figured it out, and then th then they try to like reform it, and then they reform it in a way that blands it up, that takes out that little nuance that made it kind of cool, that little thing here or there. I mean, not always. There's no. Sometimes you perfect something and you get it better and better and better, but quite often there's an initial thing that is really interesting. And so if you're always recording, it's tremendous. Like the other day for this film called Rice and Sugar, um, I put together this really great crew of people just to score basically the whole film in one afternoon. And we did. And we didn't, wow. we weren't watching, we, we had, we were just watching little clips. And then, then the editor was gonna take that and the director and put that and make the film out of it. But I had this harp player that I'd never played with that was incredible. Um, my friend Jesse on, um, flute and uh, baritone clarinet and um, my friend Sam Gundell who's just a phenomenal musician on sax but also midi sax where he can he actually controls um, like things like strings and pianos and stuff but playing it on a midi sax it's, it's, it's out of this world uh, he's like he's an incredible player played he's played with Blake Mills and Ry Cooter and I've played with him for about 10 years ever since this Vicky Cryer record I made. He's a wizard. Um, he's a wizard. But it was like, the, and then myself just jumping around from instrument to instrument, whatever I felt like, um, you know, and we scored this whole thing and it was amazing how tight we were, weaving and bobbing, things would stop, start. Like there was never a discussion about anything, about keys, about anything. It was just come in and react. And it was glorious. It was so great. And we got, you know, the session was a three hour session and we practically had three hours of 
tunes. Not so, it was just there wasn't a bad thing in the bunch, and it was it was such a perfect combination. And then you know a, a week or two later, um, there was another session that we had at the studio that that drummer uh, put together Ryan Miller, and it was a little those guys and I was more just sort of like helping to oversee it. Those guys were more try, like trying to sort of like, let me teach you and play and blah, 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 blah. And I kept just trying to push them to, hey, just stop discussing. Just like, like don't just play. Just let something happen. They yeah. couldn't quite get it, but there was some really great stuff that, that came out of it. But there was a little bit more of like, they didn't understand the thing of like, well, just what do you mean? Let's just play on one chord. Well, the idea is that you're not just playing on like one note or one chord. You're, you let it stretch out, you know, like there was something that I remember when I first started scoring films. Um, I, 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 I did done the, the teaser. David Fincher asked me to do Gone Girl, to do the trailer, the theatrical trailer for Gone Girl, which was which was doing this like Charles Aznavar song with a big orchestra and a choir and uh, the singer second at first to sing this and that. And so after we did that, you know, he hired me to do this show, uh, Video Secrecy. I don't know if actually it was on Video Secrecy or if it was on Mindhunter, which I did right after with, with Fincher. But there was something in the early days I remember him telling me, I think it was Mindhunter, that he said, hold another, this is like his only real advice. And it was great advice. Uh, I mean, he's given me other bits of things, but it was hold on to a note as long as you can until you can't hold it anymore, you know, drop the mic. My, yeah, you know, like mic it, drop. <laughs> yeah, it was like, ah. And then, you know, so like even at some of those parties that I would have where I'd get all these great musicians around, that would be a prompt I would tell people, you know, like everybody in the room, there's 16 people on all these different instruments in this room. Everybody hold a note, you know, as long as you can. And it's remarkable how quick musicians if they're not totally getting there yet have to change yeah they can't that, like that's the most difficult thing it's almost like you know meditation and breathing like when you try to focus on your breathing it can be exhausting mentally which is strange because we all we, we constantly just breathe but when you actually concentrate on your breathing it almost feels difficult you know it's almost right. like more mentally hard for some weird reason but like uh it's the sort of same thing it's like we're all these musicians they want to nervously switch they can't just hang and then let it switch and grow and expand and whoa now right. one thing everybody's hanging on this though and then suddenly one guy shifts and it becomes now we've made a little chord. Whoa. Yeah. Or like, and, and this thing just like, like, you know, like a, like a river or an ocean, you know, just sort of moves and does all this sort of stuff. That's really what's just truly glorious about playing when that stuff happens and everybody becomes this big organism. That's the great thing about once you realize being in a band and stuff too, uh, that that sort of thing that happens when we just the whole thing just starts to move together and it becomes this one organism as opposed to 
four or five different people just blaring out, just not listening to each other. That's, yeah, that's and what that, what you just described too, and everyone kind of being in sync is incredible. I have a friend, uh, two friends, Jacob and Lenny, they make music together and they wrote uh, um, an album uh, with another super talented group of musicians and it was a completely different, uh, you know, I don't, how do I explain this? Like they went into it instead of writing songs, they went into it almost like having these sessions where that did happen, where they would not just yeah. abruptly end. It would kind of slow down and then it would be yeah. soft and then it would grow. And then, and I pointed that out. We, we re-listened to the, the album a, a few weeks ago and I pointed that out to him. I'm like, those are, I personally love that. Like I just, mm -hmm. I love when things kind of flow into the next stage of songs and even, even live performing live. There's an artist that I really like a uh, Faye Webster, um, she played at Outside Lands and her band just you could you can tell that they just are so nobody has the spotlight on them. Their yeah. band is the spotlight and they're That's, going yeah. they're going in and out of these tracks that, you know, on Spotify, they're only like two and a half minutes. But on sure. stage, they're they're 10 minutes because they're just totally. they don't want it to end. And they, it's kind of like how you yeah. uh, describe Fincher saying, hold that note. It's like they. Yeah they don't want that that song to end because it's flowing so beautifully and i think that's yeah that's the greatness of of music and you you know you describe that flowing or kind of passing the energy ball to different people in the room and yeah. um that's when beautiful things can well happen. it's awesome because it's a that element of surprise you know like i right. uh, that's what really turns me on about all the stuff about creating stuff is is you know walking into a room having you know, maybe a faint idea, but, but probably not of what's about to happen. And at the end of the evening or the end of the moment, you have something that just was created. Luckily, if you're recording, you can listen back to it and have it sort of be timeless in a way. But that sort of just surprise, like, you know, I've sort of said often, you know, uh, or not often necessarily, but like, you know, going in to do like there's certain ways that people make records, which is like, they write a song, they've worked it all out. Maybe they've even demoed it. And then you're just going to redo that thing. Um, right. It bores the fuck out of me. Like there's yeah. no, like, there, unless there's a surprise at the end of the thing, uh, you know, I don't want to just go over well, well, here to go let's do the bass player part and let's do the drummer's part and let's do the blah, 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 blah. You know, all <laughs> it's this like you're clocked in. It's like you're clocking in and out. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Exactly. And, and there is a place for that in making records. And some people made, have made great records like that absolutely um but for me it's like i i, I want to be surprised like i just want to be like oh wow like i just want because i want the magic you know and um that's the word right there magic i try yeah. to use that word as much as i can because the minute you steer away from that and things become stuffy and just yeah perfect that you know it just loses the totally. soul the magic Totally. I mean, because exactly in that analytical part of the brain can destroy it all. So, yeah, I, I um, I'm a big fan of that surprise. You know, I mean, Absolutely. I have a friend I remember uh, in a massive band, actually, uh, you know, billions of streams and whatnot. Really good friend of mine that I've worked. I won't mention their names, but like uh, on this thing, but but uh, he plays guitar in this particular band, and he was over at my studio. And we were working on something. And uh, he was complaining about how the singer of the band uh, never likes to work on any of the stuff that he's worked out. That he's really, you know, like he's, he's, 
put all these, he's figured out all these guitar parts. Here's the structure of the song, blah, 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 blah. He was like basically kind of, which often people do for me as a, you know, as a producer, um, you, you, you take on the hat, not only as the sort of leader of the sessions and this and that, but you're also sort of a psychologist, you know, in, in a way, right? And so, but he was bitching about how the, the, the particular singer, every time he would bring songs to him, he never wanted to work on the songs that he'd had all like worked out. He would come to the thing, here's 12 things that I've worked on for the next last few months. You know, what do you think of them? And none of them would turn them on. All he wanted to do, the singer was make up, was work on something that was happening right at that moment. In the words of this particular gentleman, my friend, said, you know, he just likes the things that are just coming out of my ass at any moment. It's like, and I had to explain to him, it's like, I understand because <laughs> yeah. there's a spark of creativity there. Whereas the other one, you've kind of just, you know, beaten down, beaten a dead horse, as they say, you know, like, it's just sort of like, you've worked it out. So there's no element of surprise. Like, it's like, you want that little magic door to open that you didn't even realize, oh, there was a door there this whole time. <laughs> right. Oh my God, I thought this was a wall there's a magic door, you know, like little, like that's what you want. And then everybody is, is there's that surprise that magic is happening where everybody doesn't know where we're going to end up. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, like it's way, it's much more interesting when you don't know the ending of the movie, you know? Yeah. You don't want to be like, I know exactly how this is going to end. Yeah, exactly. Like, why am I, why am I investing my time? Why even do this? Why why do this? I know, you know, Yeah, well, so. well, hey, I want to I want to dabble in or touch on uh, your time with, um, you know, your your band, uh, Louis the 14th. Um, yep. I actually have uh, kind of a interesting, funny story. I'm sure you, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, but I'm 27. I grew up with a, a, an older brother, Ryan. He's four years older than me. We both loved baseball and we also loved, you know, to dabble with playing some some sports video games as well. Sure. And after I met you, I it didn't really click when we were talking. But then I went home and I I, I had a, a laugh and called my brother because um, our favorite game still to this day is uh-huh. MVP Baseball 2005. And did we have some songs in that or something? And or? you had Finding Out True Love uh, True Love Is Blind on there. Oh, okay, and, cool. <laughs> and so I I got a good laugh when I got home because I was like, every time we would load in that game you know it didn't randomize the songs it was that song would play first oh and so, really yeah so i wonder so for, how it ties to baseball that's interesting but yeah it's great yeah so because uh, mvp baseball the game is is a, a baseball game ea sports made um and i just thought it was funny because the you know the reason i'm bringing this up is because i wanted to to know if you like how did that that's such an interesting world to me how these you know um companies pick songs for like who's the who's the middleman in this situation where you know hey we got a ea sports they're making a baseball game you know we they they really like the find you know finding out true love is blind can we get that on I mean, how does how does that work did you I, know? I have no i have no idea i remember i'm pretty sure ea is it ea or a it's ea, EA. yeah ea sports um yeah i remember i don't really play video games uh hardly at all every every once in a while i'll like i get like some sort of console like i remember we played xbox when and they gave me like a console and more recently i bought one because i'm like i'm gonna 
get into playing video games and I play for like five minutes and I'm like, I don't, <laughs> uh, like, no, I can't do it. I, that's just me. But I, I, I but, uh, cause I, I, I tend to find that I, I generally like to do things where I make something at the end of it. I see some sort of something transform at the end of, end of it. And my right. brother is a big, big, big video game guy. So I think growing up, I'd always look at him going, you're wasting your fucking time. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Let's make something, you know, like, come on, uh, make some music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, but I understand people really dig it. That's why I always go. Maybe I should try this because I know it. Maybe I don't know. It doesn't work out. Um, but I, I think that particular thing, because um, I know we were in some of the FIFA stuff and like the, the, the soccer stuff, and and I don't know if that was like just a fan over there. If that had something to do with I was signed to Atlantic Records before. If they generated that, or if our old manager Michael Jobson might have instigated I, I really have no idea I mean there was a time where when we that that particular song especially really broke out and it broke out before we'd ever signed a record deal it was like number it was like number one on tons of radio stations in in Europe uh, and in the United States without a record deal, which was unheard of, which was crazy. Five Incredible. on the West Coast uh, without even a great that record, record. Even, without even the record being out, that song was on these radio stations. And um, it all happened. I, I, it all happened from coming out of San Diego and I believe out of 91 X 94, nine as well played it. Um, but like, it just started sort of spreading before we'd even signed a record deal. And, uh, and so that, it, it, that song weirdly had these, all these like several lifespans because then we signed a record deal. And, and then like a year later, it actually technically came out. But by that point, it, it had already been played on all these radio stations for a long ass fucking time. So <laughs> right. we, it just in some ways hindered it from, cause a lot of people were like, well, we played this like, all like a year ago like non-stop why are we going to play it again so it, it in some ways it kind of hindered it but it also had then all these other radio stations start playing stuff so but as far as like actually getting on those things i have no idea how those how it happened uh obviously some fan somewhere at the company and and maybe oh maybe it had something to do with sony who was uh, the, our publisher at the time on those old tracks. I, I don't really know. But. Well, you had a, a very strong gaming community that loved that song. Let me tell <laughs> you, because there great. was a lot of comments too, that, you know, every time I, and even before I met you, I'd throw on that, that soundtrack just because it's a great soundtrack. I mean, whoever paired that, those, those records together did an incredible job. Yeah. Whole, it's just an all around great soundtrack, but a lot of people, when that song would come up, whether it's a YouTube comment or they would be like, Oh yeah. When I think of MVP baseball, I think of this song. So a that's, lot of people, a lot of people. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> that, no, I mean, that's super awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. My, yeah. I'm a, my brother is like a gaming fanatic. He has been since we were little kids. Um, like, so he's, he'll spend at least several hours a day playing. <laughs> or games. There's not uh, enough time in a day. Unfortunately, the older we get, you know, it's, it's, I still find time to, to, to game here and there, but it's just, it's a, it's a time sucker. <laughs> it's a time sucker. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah so I, I want to get into, so, you know, we had touched on, you know, Louis the 14th, stuff like that. And and now, I now with your current um, 
you know role now and in, in your part in your career you're you're doing a lot of film scores tv shows you had mentioned working with david fincher uh i kind of want to uh, touch on that too and how you transitioned away from you know being in a band for for a majority of your career and and you know what what kind of how did that fall into you, whether it fell in your lap or you said hey i want to go do this did you intentionally want to start uh writing film scores or like how did that kind of um well it, I, it was it was slightly random it was I would consider more like fate in a strange way, but um, be it, it all. I, I had never, I hadn't really ever set out to do it. I know I wanted to to do it. Like it was in the back of my mind, but I really had no idea how to do it or anything like that. But I've never let not knowing how to do something stop me from doing that thing. Um, I, I had found myself sort of like we wanted to take a break from Louis the 14th and uh it was like around 2010 I was living in San Diego um I'd just gotten off a massive long tour for like basically like a year and a half of really consistent touring and just kind of wanted something different and I know about my life I've realized that I have to constantly change otherwise I'll get depressed and stuck in a rut and things like that unless I'm sort of just changing um, right. what I'm getting into and this and that. It all sort of ebbs and flows and stuff. So I found myself sort of in relative suburbia in San Diego single and um, off this long ass tour and kind of disillusioned by some different things in the business end of it um, with Atlantic Records and with our management and a business manager that ripped us off. And like, so like these things sort of had kind of taken its toll on me a bit. And um, I decided, I said, I'm just gonna get out of town. And I'm gonna move up to LA. And I wanna, I'm just gonna concentrate on producing records. Cause even before Louis the 14th, I'd kind of th always thought I would just kind of be a producer because I, I'm interested in lots of music, different kinds of music. And I don't like to repeat myself all the time. And I thought, and, and people were always asking me to do that anyway, because ever since I started on like a four track when I was young, it was about recording music from day one. And and I got really into recording. So um, and I didn't like being at the mercy of engineers or pro other producers. That's why I always produced all our stuff, you know, and um, because I, I just wanted I didn't like the idea of this is how you have to do something. You know, it was like. What do you mean this is? And I remember an engineer told me that once. Like, this is how you get a vocal. I was like, I don't know any different. I was 15, but I think that's a fucking stupid answer. There's more than <laughs> one way to do lots of things. And so, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like, anyway, so uh, people would always, like, in my 20s and stuff, would, like, pay me to record their bands and stuff. So for ones I dug, I, I, I did that and I got into it. So anyway, I moved up to LA thinking I would concentrate on producing more. And... I started doing that a bit um, and I'm, then I made this Vicky Cryer record with with different friends of mine, like one of the members, it's kind of like a super band, some Killers, some Muse, some Jamiroquai, some uh, guys that play with Julian Casablancas, like, and it's basically my solo record, but with these sort of like super groupish sort of things. And uh, I just made that and I'd done a New York Dolls record in Newcastle, England, which was a lot of fun, and kind of joined the New York Dolls for for a summer or a winter. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but uh, and uh, toured 
Europe and, and came back and, and I had been in a relationship with a girl that was kind of, a, we weren't a perfect fit. Uh, I loved her, but it was like, we were having problems. And I remember it was like Valentine's Day was a Friday and we broke up on that Friday. And um, Saturday, my father was passing away as well too. He was in a bad place. And uh, so I was drinking too much. And Saturday I decided, maybe I'm drinking way too much. And I went to like AA for, for the first time. And I drink and I, 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 I still drink a little bit, but, um, but anyway, for like a month, I went to AA and kind of realized, no, I'm all right. But, but anyway, so <laughs> the Saturday kicked in. It's good that, that you checked in with yourself though. It's good. That I, you, yeah, you know, yeah, I, 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 you know, <laughs> at the end, when you, when you, I was, you know, when, when you break up in a relationship too, like often you sort of like, kind of take a deep breath and you kind of come to like a, where am I at life right now? And, you know, maybe I'm not perfect. Like maybe I can, <laughs> maybe there is some shit that's, that I'm not paying attention to. So yeah. anyway, that Saturday I went to AA and then Monday I got a call from Fincher's wife to, to work on Gone Girl. And the thing is, it was to do this song, She by Charles Astavar, like I said, um, but it was like this song kind of about like codependency and the dark side of this relationship it's seen as a big love song and it was made famous in Notting Hill by Elvis Costello, but it was a big French song from the, from the seventies. But Fincher saw the darkness in it, just like it, just like in every breath you take, there's like kind of a stalker mentality to it, but everybody looks at it as like this love song. Right. Uh, it, it was the same sort of thing. And so it, being asked to do this song, um, like on that Monday, literally like three days from the breakup, whatever it was like, oh, and I decided I'd be sober for a year, which I ended up doing and stuff. So I was slightly miserably sober and miserably in this like, like breakup, but I was able to channel it all into the song that was kind of about my life at that moment. So it was like kind of a perfect situation where I could put everything I had into this production, which it, it sort of, was a great use of my skills and everything I've worked for to this moment because there was strings, there was a choir, all in my rock and roll days and stuff. I would use strings a lot because I was a big Bowie and and you know T Rex fan and and all the old rad records, you know, even Zeppelin and and the Stones and stuff have these great string bits, Elton John, all this stuff. That's the kind of shit I, I love, and um, so. I would do all that in our music and stuff. And so in this, this particular opportunity, it was like, I could throw it all in there and do this really killer thing. And I, we did it and me and Fincher just hit it off. Um, I think he recognized my work ethic was really crazy, which it is because it's not exactly work to me. And I, I'm kind of obsessive about it all. And, and I, we, he recognized that we sort of share a similar bit of perfectionist aspect. I'm not a perfectionist in that, like, uh, it's about like, oh, it's gotta be perfect this and that in the same way that Fincher is. I'm like, I want this to be magic, exciting, interesting. And often the perfect thing is the thing that is weirder. Imperfect. Or off, is imperfect. Uh, when things are too perfect, they, they suck all the life out. And so I'm constantly trying to hold on to what makes it actually exciting um so uh and then from there it was it was i i actually 
did stretch out to him. He might have been asked, going to ask me anyway, but I did say to him, and I, because I knew like Steven Soderbergh was like one of his best friends and stuff. And, and I said, Soderbergh, but I, I said, uh, you know, do you or any of your friends uh, have any like HBO, you know, or Netflix shows that you happen to be scored? Because I would love to get into to composing for film. Uh, you know, I'd never done it. And, uh, you know, but it was worth a shot. And he said, actually, let me call you back tomorrow. And he called me back with asking me to do video secrecy for HBO, which didn't come out, but we worked on it for eight months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, there was four episodes that were made and then they shelved it. And by the way, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for that curiosity that you, you know, you wanted to explore this kind of uncharted territory. Oh, and yeah, and yeah. that's, you know, a lesson for life too, where, you know, nothing's ever going to, come out of anything if you don't ask or have that level totally. of curiosity no, so it, it, exactly yeah it's very very true if you don't go for it you can't get it like you know i would always say like you know there's lots of great musicians that are in their room their bedroom wondering why they haven't been discovered you have to do something to you get make, out of the house man <laughs> yeah totally you have to you know you have to to do stuff you know to get it out there so um it's a lesson for all of us at all times, but yeah. So we, we just sort of hit it off and I, I didn't know what I was doing in that, that world. And so I worked really hard and I just wanted to make it all very unique. And, and also I was fortunate enough to work on the, the first several things I did were all for Fincher. And now we've done like seven or eight or something. And we just, we just did a Super Bowl commercial that didn't end up, they pushed it to summer Olympics but we just had finished that like a week and a half ago. Um, so that would have been maybe our eighth or ninth project we've done together. But, uh, but working under him, I realized, wow, you know, A, he works really hard. So it made it so that, and everybody under that's working with him works really hard because, because he does and they want to make it great. And, and I was, I also had two, uh, I knew there was going to be comparisons between my work and Trent and Atticus's work, Trent Ra- uh, Reznor and Atticus Ross, who have done so many films for him. And uh, I knew that, and they're great. They're tremendous. Uh, so I knew that I couldn't do anything like them, which was fine with me because we didn't naturally do the similar sort of things. Our music's very different. Um, but I knew the easy thing and a lot of what a lot of probably people would do is sort of like go in that sort of direction. But I knew that that would just be like fucking Bud Light to Budweiser or whatever, you know, like yeah. I didn't want to do that. It's too, it's too easy. <laughs> yeah. It's well, and it's also, it's like, it's just the, it's the, it's would have been a dumb move, you know, like, so anytime, anytime any directors have tried to sway me towards that direction, which happened in this movie I did uh, about the fire festival, um, where ultimately it was just like, just fucking license some of Trent's work if you want. And that's what he did. Because <laughs> it was just like, dude, I don't, or Trent Agus is working out. I was just like, I'm not going to copy anybody, let alone yeah. these guys. Uh, but you're like, great. I'm Jason. I'm, I'm Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm Jason. Yeah. Nice yeah. You. yeah. Uh, but, but so I, I, I tried really hard, especially like if you, you know, some of my favorite stuff I've ever done was for Mindhunter and, and especially like the second season where I really got into it, but the first season as well. Um, I, I think it's very unique 
and different. And I really was pushing boundaries and I worked really hard and, and long and, and for a very long time. I mean, I, I worked for eight months before I ever saw picture. So I was creating such a library and of music that ended up being sort of the tentacles of everything. Once I saw a picture, I wrote the piece that sort of defined the sound of the show, like immediately. And, but that eight months got me to that place. And, um, and I, but I learned, it was sort of like a crash course in learning how to, to, to work in film and working with one of the best filmmakers of all time. So it was really great. And it really helped inform, it was such a gift. Um, and it really helped inform everything I've done working with other directors and, and whatnot. And because and I could always fall back on this is how it should be done. Like this is how it should be done. So when I see other people doing things differently or with other motives too, like on other productions, you which you see, and, and I didn't come from this place where I came from a band, you know, all this sort of stuff where um, this wasn't work for us. I mean, it was work and it was hard. You know, a lot of times you don't want to go up on fucking stage. You want to sit at the hotel room and like order room service and watch HBO or Netflix. <laughs> right. You know, the last thing you want to do is get up on stage. You know, everybody. So, there, so some nights it is work, of course. But you'd see in some of these other productions where people are making a show and because there's so many people that make a show, but it's just a job for them. And, and for me, even still to this day, it's not just a job. If I don't like something or I don't like where the directors go in or whatnot, like I've, I've quit off of shows or said like, I'm not, why don't I just not do those episodes? I don't get where you're going with it. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Um, I mean, I'm not like a troublemaker in that regard. I'm just, a realist and I just want to only do shit I'm proud of, you know, and, and yeah, you don't want to sacrifice your sound or your vision just for the sake of pleasing somebody else, you know? Sure. And I, but I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I maybe do have a bit of a sound or something like this or that, but like, I do always try to change. Like I never try to repeat myself right? or try to copy somebody else. I mean, look, I'll, I'll vibe somebody else if it's like 50 or 60 years old, years old. like you yeah. want to vibe some fucking old Italian or French, uh, you know, scores from the seventies or the sixties. Yes. I'm okay. down, <laughs> but I'm not going to vibe something like, you know, where, where this is literally something I've been sent like stuff of like, well, we're really going for this euphoria type vibe. And I, no offense of euphoria. I've never seen the show, but it's like, wasn't that like last year? Well, fuck off. I don't want anything to do. Like, no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I probably won't dig it. And B, I mean, I might. I don't know. Never heard it. Well, but, that just uh, goes into a whole deal of how so many people, instead of trying to tap into this vast era of incredible, just unique music, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago yeah. versus, versus being like, hey, let's just try to emulate what's hot right, right now, what's in yeah. Right. And yeah. I know a lot of executives, too, that are, don't really have that musical side or or people that are a little bit out of touch in that sense. They they want the easy route. They want the shortcut. They're like, just give oh. me what's give me what's in right now and let's turn it up that volume a little bit. But then, you know, from your perspective, I'm assuming it's just like, but but that person that created Euphoria wasn't probably trying to copy something that came out the year before oh. that. You know, when you I'm, create I'm sure, yeah. greatness, it's, you know, yeah. um, I, like, for example, I. Uh, I, I love it when people sample like super old. It's funny you mentioned old Italian music, but just like 
any European old, you know, there's like the song called Bonnie and Clyde that I love. Oh yeah, by Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah. Yeah. I huge, huge Serge Gainsbourg. I, I will literally matter of fact, I'm gonna space. Hold on, I'm gonna just show you something really quick. Oh, uh, I love this. I love this. Oddly enough, I was literally just listening to that particular record. No way. Yeah. Oh, actually, I love this. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde on that. I know actually Bonnie and Clyde's on different. This is what I was listening to last night, Serge Gainsbourg. Oh, this is amazing. A painting I did of Serge Gainsbourg. Wow. You you painted this? Yeah, I painted that. That's incredible. Years, years ago. But uh, yeah, actually, no, Bonnie and Clyde's on the record right before Melody, but this is his best record. Um, anyway. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, search search games. I'm a massive, massive fan. Uh, massive, massive. Uh, I I I think it's uh you know it's in, it's just beautiful. It's literally beautiful, and I could sit there and listen to that on repeat for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah. And Who just sample. Somebody sample. Uh, yeah. So mm. Jay Electronica. Mm. He's a he's a rapper. He's in his forties now, but he's always kind of. Um, I I just appreciated his music because he sampled sure. a lot of those older tracks. Interesting stuff, yeah, sure, yeah. And yeah. he I, he just unlocks that magic, and he looks back at that era of music and sees. There's also a guy, yeah. Um, there's a there's a other guy from uh, the UK. I should just compile my list of these and send them to you. Uh, after this just so you yeah. can check them out but i i just i i'm obsessed with that kind of era of music and it's just so more real and raw and everything obviously oh, was... now not to sound like a pessimist but like everything now is obviously motivated by money and everything's just like ah oh, this let's let's create this or let's do that but back then it was like uh you know before the internet before it was it, it was just beautiful that's all i can say yeah. well there was some great you know great musicians and stuff back in the day and people people influenced by different things and doing different stuff. I mean, we're, as years go on, we get influenced by stuff that happened right before and this and that. And there was some really eclectic things happening um, that people were vibing off. I mean, but going back to your sort of idea about trendiness and stuff, that's a battle I've always fought in terms of people trying to, whether it's artists, young artists or something that are coming up where they're just trying to follow trends or they'll be forced by managers and record companies and stuff to follow trends, you know, and where record companies are always, you know, or, you know, film studios or directors, like everybody's, there's always people trying to follow trends. And for me, I think that a bit of my success and the reason I have a career is, Hey, I don't, I don't have a fucking, filter <laughs> but it's like and also uh and i think some people admire that but like uh you know because they know they'll get an honest answer from me but i but i i've always been a contrarian you know like i hey, i went to the same high school as blink 182 right so um and you, you know and so of course i fucking hated pop punk growing up i was like <laughs> like of course you know like no like they're great you know i, I really yeah enjoy it i like the guys you know um in the band you know uh but like it, but i i like i was going to anytime everybody went this way i had to go this way and it wasn't necessarily like a conscious thing it was just 
this is the way I am. Like, like I want to do something way more interesting. If everybody's, you know, it's, it's sort of the same way. Like when Nirvana came out uh, for me, I was young, you know, and, and it was like, well, I liked Nirvana, but then all of a sudden everybody likes Nirvana. So it's like, I'm, I, I got to find something else. Like, this is like, I, and, and when you're young, what you re- what you like represents you so much because you don't really have anything else. So you just have what you like, you know, like you don't have stuff. So you just have what you like and it represents you so much, oddly enough, like the type of music you listen to, you know, and, but for me, it was finding more eclectic and more things that people didn't know about that I, they could be mine, you know, like, yeah. like, like for instance, like Serge Gainsbourg was one of those things forever Ever since I discovered him in, actually, I remember specifically, I was in Rennes, France on tour and went to an old Virgin mega store. And I walked in, I was just like walking around the town and and I see this big, like in Virgin mega store, I went in, it was like one of these massive, uh, you know, music stores. And there was a whole like corner of the section devoted, like big room practically devoted to this guy, Serge Gainsbourg. It was wow. like, Ooh was this guy you know and there was a listening station and i went in and luckily i heard this the melody nelson record which is his best and arguably his only really great record it's the the one bonnie and clyde i believe yes it's on the one right before it but he really achieved magic on this particular record and you should listen to it uh it's the ballad of melody melody nelson and the whole thing is fucking great all the way through but like i would love to but I luckily heard just that record first and I just instantly bought it and I just fell in love. And it turns out he's like the Frank Sinatra of France, but you know, around the world, most people didn't know about it. But for me, it was like, Oh, this is one, this is one of my things. And then it was like, I remember then years later, Beck came out with his sea change record, which is very much vibing Serge Gainsbourg, like literally copying licks. And I remember working with David Campbell, who's uh, Beck's dad, who's a really great, conductor and, and arranger for strings and whatnot and he was doing he was conducting I, I had him come in and conduct she that i did for with gone girl and i had him do a couple of louis the 14 things um and i remember talking to one of them about his work on sea change and because he's literally there's some string lines that are straight up directly homaging nice if not just ripping off completely even at guitar lines <laughs> That are rep- like that that on sea change are doing that, and actually Roger Manning Jr. came in for um, a session just recently. He plays keys with Beck, and we were talking about that particular record as well too. And the search oh, I love that. But but anyway, like or like T Rex was that way for me too when I was growing up, or like all these early punk bands that I got into as a teenager from like England, you know, and like Stiff Little Fingers and Mega City Four and all these really interesting eclectic thing so so i was always going that way like anytime everybody's in this i gotta go this way no matter what it was it was sort of like that's how you find your own path you know that's Um, it it was always a running joke too with me because i would discover an artist and then two or three years later they would pop and people be like mm -hmm. oh have you heard of this and that instantly run out when i heard that i'd be like i'm out yeah i can't i can't do it anymore which is which is terrible for to the artist but it's nature it's in our nature to to try to be original and original thinkers and and you know and i think that's a good 
thing, you know, um, for sure. Like my, my favorite band growing up was Animal Collective. Oh, yeah. They're um, great. And that was, you know, I was in like the eighth grade listening to them. Like everyone's listening to you're young. You're a kid. You're supposed yeah. to be listening to Katy Perry and and, sure. you know, all this other stuff. And then I was over here like eighth grade, like you know listening to animal collective and people are like yeah, what the yeah. hell are you on <laughs> like yeah. Sure. yeah yeah i love it my ears love it my brain loves it yeah so. and it's your and it becomes your thing you know like i i would find that like when i first moved up to la i signed a deal with universal publishing who i'm still on and uh but i remember like being asked to do like writing sessions for other people and which was interesting to me and i still do as a matter of fact i did one i hadn't done it for years but i just recently said i'm going to start doing that again because it was kind of fun because I, I wanted to take a break from scoring films and get back to the sort of eclectically writing and so like yesterday i wrote this israeli guy and uh this big pop star over there and then the day before i wrote with this girl and we wrote this, these great songs and stuff but it's a great way to stretch out anyway when i first started uh so I signed Universal. They, they kept asking me to write with these different young girls that were being signed, um, uh, you know, to, to that were just starting their sort of careers. And it, like without fail, I would always try to like, like really, we write something super fucking rad, and then like you would hear what the record company was going to release as their signal and their direction for this person, and. It like was like across the board, it would happen over and over again. So finally, I was like, I can't write with you people anymore because <laughs> yeah. you're just like, because they would like release destroying something. the art. <laughs> it, well, it'd be like, it'd be like we write something so fucking rad and be like, look, you're, you're 18. Like this is like an 18 year old girl doing this. You'll just set the world on fire with the original thing of it. Like people will so appreciate this and then they would go and release something that could be a Katy Perry or that could be this thing or that could be that that sounds like all of the other ones you know yeah. or whatever usually was hot at that exact moment whether it's Lady Gaga or this or that or something like which these are all great artists in in their own regard doing their thing but like it just been like there was no identity to it, it could have been like just here's the song put in any singer and they'll like like there's no identity to it you know yeah. it doesn't sound like like the moment you hear the rolling stones you know it's the rolling stones the moment you hear like you too you know it's you too the moment you hear this artist or that artist you know it's them prince right. or that and, and so like the originality factor is just diluted because these the record companies and the manager and then the artists are always like they're caught in the middle of it but without fail years later i would always get calls and people just going you were right. You know, Mike, like their, their career is like, they've been dropped from the label, this or that. And it'll be like, what happened to that song that we did? It's like, you blew it. You know, yeah. like, like, but I understand, I feel bad because I understand the power that record companies have to younger people as they did with me. You know, I signed my first record deal um, in my early twenties, I think early to mid twenties. And um, you know, you which make, is still young, which is still young. Yeah, totally. And you make, but you make like some bad decisions because you think that because you listen to these people and some and you know uh, our A and R guy at my first you know record deal. To this day, I work with him because he, he he goes over my contracts um, in film because he now manages 
and uh, does like sort of legal work, even though he's not a lawyer for for composers. But he he's apologized to me over and over again um, for not having the insight of understanding the kind of artist that I am. Where it's like like for instance, we had recorded this killer record on an eight track, reel to reel, out in the mountains. This was my band Convoys before Louis the Fourteenth, and um, I got disillusioned by that deal so much that I quit the band and started Louis the 14th because even though we were assigned to this label, I just, there was all these things. So we made this rad record out in the woods where we kind of did what the, like the band, like the band, the band did for like music for big pink. Whereas we went out an hour outside of San Diego up in the mountains on this, we lived in two different places, but they were both like on 46 acre ranch type things where it was just like us out in the middle of nowhere, you know, an hour from downtown San Diego, just learning how to sing and record together. And we recorded this rad record and like wrote and recorded the songs. It was very just real raw record, you know, no auto tune, no fucking all this other stuff. No bullshit. No bullshit <laughs> on tape on eight tracks, you know, each song at eight. Which tracks. sounds incredible. It sounded great. And we were, and we were just learning how to do it. We were learning how to sing. And to sing. Anyway, we made this rad record and then we signed a record deal from this record. And then, because this is the way that they thought we were supposed to do it, they then ask a producer. And the only time I've ever worked with an outside producer, other than other producers, friends of mine, where we kind of collaborate. But like, so they brought in this guy to come in and like, let's re-record this record. Well, now it's like a few years later. The last thing we want to do is re-record something we did magically in the first time where it came out of a wonderful, you know, now, then you become a cover band of yourself. Right. And so and it was excruciating and it was really painful to do because we didn't make better versions. As a matter of fact, we made worse versions, yeah. I think. And and it was just and we'd already written all these new songs. Like, that's what we wanted to do. We didn't want to, like, recreate this thing. And and I think it was a kind of a disaster in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, and, but but to this day, like I said, like his name is Joe. Great guy. He apologizes for that. He just he's like, I, we didn't know that we should have just released that record and then had you made a new record, you know. Yeah. But that, especially back in those days, like that's what they thought you should do. It, but that's still kind of that mentality of like of forcing artists to do something that they shouldn't be doing. Um, well, that just but, completely but, strips away what it means to be an artist, too, right? Yeah. When you almost put them through this conveyor belt and manufacture these records totally. versus, versus just being like you know in a perfect world obviously it's we're talking about the music industry here and it's the least perfect world but yeah, you know sure. say hey you're extremely talented keep doing yeah. what you're doing it's incredible here's some money yeah yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some resources we'll give you some marketing if it pops whatever blah blah, blah. like and then you know it, it's just I, I i don't know the legalities of a lot of these deals obviously there's a lot of bad press about how shady and slimy the industry is and and i even see it on my end with you know shooting documentaries and and some videos and stuff that i've done in the past but it's just so interesting to me that they are so counterproductive in the way that they are in their minds trying to get yeah. someone to pop to make money but they're removing the key ingredient that would have made them pop totally well that's like their their you know authenticity their originality and they're saying yeah no, we're this record label. We have all these great people and things. Let's just 
throw it on you and whatever, you know, so it's interesting how that works. Well, I mean, I think there's, there's good people at these companies. Right. For but, sure. But they don't, but they're, but they often have just the wrong idea of how to do what they, what they'll often do is, is um, try to fit an artist into an already like a conveyor belt that's already happening as opposed to just, just following that artist and helping clear out the brush in front of them if that's what they need or whatever instead of like they think that they're doing the right thing but they're often not but uh, right. but then again also it's 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 voodoo you know like we'll never recoup probably from atlantic records because they just bullshit throw your your oh this person this expense that thing it's it's oh yeah what are we gonna do like audit them you know it's like it's, it's like <laughs> yeah. insane it, it's totally insane. All, what do you mean this college. ride from the airport cost four grand? Are we? <laughs> yeah, no, it, exactly. But it's like, and you know, some people they have a dinner regarding something or whatever, and they just put it on to your bill. Like you know, like <laughs> yeah. like it's just like that. It, it shit happens all the three sixty deals. Yeah, like there's yeah. all that sort of stuff. But I mean, the but it's also they're oblivious in a lot of ways to it. it, it like I mean, here's a great example of some of just the bullshit that they do but they all but they often will go well this work because they are like banks they're just like they're selling toys they're selling yeah. christmas fucking toys is what they're doing <laughs> and so like like but they're they'll, they'll just copy one person's artistry and then like try to like funnel that into the other things so they can make some money i mean a great example of it is what atlantic records did to louis the 14th which i mean i don't know how much of this was the artist and atlantic or whatever but like like Atlantic Records would have, like, if you go into their building, uh, they have these big, I don't know if it's still this way, but they, they used to have these big uh, blown up pictures of their bands, like huge, you know, yeah. life size all around, you know. And I remember going, and when we took our promo pictures for the Louis XIV, uh, Best Little Secrets of Cat, where Fine After was Blind is on. We did it down at Valentino. I, he used to, like, the old actor from the 20s, this guy Valentino, there was, like, he had an apartment downtown that, to this day, it's, like, kept the way he had. It's, like, this re decrepit building that I don't know what's going on in the rest of the building, but, like, for some reason, this velvety red root, like, his apartment is still kind of intact the way he had it. It's all like you couldn't really live there because it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's an art but it, piece, but it still has this vibe. And, and somehow we got into this place to to take promo pictures and to do our album covers and shit. Right. And I forgot exactly how it came about, but anyway, we took these. So there's these great promo shots and stuff that we did, and, and there's like one in particular I remember. And walking into Atlantic, the Atlantic building, seeing. This picture i'm like sitting down on this like windowsill and the bands around me and you walk into atlantic you see this i remember then going up one flight of stairs or whatever or the elevator to the other floor that was atlantic and seeing the exact shot but now with panic at the disco in like literally our like copying our exact sequence of where we were where we were and it was like wait what like, and we had done it first and they just yeah. basically threw them in. But another funny thing, like, and they did that exact same thing for our, the next record that we did, same thing, like basic, same look and this and that. I don't, they didn't do it at the same spot, but it was sort of like, 
So somebody, and I imagine it had to do with a little bit of the art department going, well, why this worked for them, the cool guys, let's, let's bring in the sort of not so cool band, but bigger and put them doing the same sort of thing. But <laughs> I remember like, I had this idea for the, our album, like look and our, our whole thing. Um, and uh, I might sort of still do it. So I won't probably say what the idea is, but like, but I had this idea and I found this artist to do how I wanted all our promo shots to look for this, for the, the next record and like this artist like quoted me like 10 grand to do uh this particular look that i this this thing that i wanted to do and i remember calling like the art department or whoever i was supposed to talk to at atlantic and i'm and i'm talking to this person on the phone and i said look yeah i found this guy once who's gonna do this this is what i want to do this is like the for the whole campaign blah 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 and the woman on the other side of the phone literally said this to me and I thought, wow. She goes, you know what? It's too expensive for you guys, but thank you so much. It's such a good idea. We'll definitely use it for somebody else. And I'm on the other end of the, the phone just going like, did you really just fucking say that to me? Like you're like, and without any sense of like the theft that you're actually doing. Oh my like, God. like it was, it was just like, it blew my mind, but it was, it was like, the perfect epitome of what it's like to sort of be on a record label is like wow and the the just the non the understanding of how fucked up that is it, it reminds me of of, of uh, a friend a good friend of mine uh was asked to do the now this is his side of the story but uh so i don't have any this but <laughs> there was a what was a show what was the down abbey so he was yeah. asked to do the to like if you want he's, he felt he scores a lot of films and stuff and uh and tv shows mainly english stuff um and he was asked to do downton abbey so uh they asked him to like do like the first two episodes i think and, and like sort of on spec like here let's see what you would do and so he did it he wrote all these themes and this and that and they call him up and they say uh, we love so much of what you did, but we got so-and-so to do it, but we love what you did so much that we're going to temp in your, what you did for him so he could hear it and sort of vibe it. And, and cause everybody loves it so much. And they, and they said this to him and he's just like, fuck you. Yeah. What, what do you mean? Are you talking like, about like, like, but they were so oblivious. They thought that was a compliment to him you know like we're gonna steal it's your robbery your it's robbery and and because we got this other guy that's a little bit bigger than you but you know and you know i haven't heard his work on it but like he claims it's very sort of similar and some of the themes are very similar in this and that. I, I i can't verify any of it but like um but it's that sort of thing it's just funny how oblivious it is but anyway that's it's that's why you know people always say oh no ideas this and this and that i'm like no fuck that man it's like you got to gatekeep because you know when you're dealing with these you know snakes it's like they're gonna do everything they can in their power to if they see something yeah they're gonna either emulate it or just flat out copy it or take it from you and totally i mean that's that's that uh, it does happen and, and i i don't think it's always malicious i think it's also stupidity like that that yeah. art person i was talking to i literally don't think they even comprehended 
that this is the most fucked up thing you could possibly say you're, to you. you're like i don't right, work yeah. for atlantic i'm not I, i'm not on salary with you guys i'm not contributing they, this is my separate thing yeah, totally totally this isn't <laughs> i'm not like yeah exactly it, that's 100 yeah. percent exactly right yeah like, <laughs> oh uh, that's 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 wild yeah it's it's unfortunate i mean it's just one of those things where you know it's been like that for you know decades with the labels and how like you said, you know, half of it might be malicious and targeted and other, it's just flat out stupidity. It's like a complete lack of understanding sure. of the creative process and how ideas are birthed and, um, and, and that, but yeah, it's just, gosh, it's, it sounds like you're in a good spot now though, where you are kind of in control of, Hey, you want, you wanted to do, you know, you wanted to compose and you, you know, have these separate relationships oh, yeah. and you're not relying on labels for this and that. And cause that's in my opinion, as an artist, hundred percent. A lot of people say, oh, I wish I had more resources to, to you know, do these ideas. But I'm like, well, at the same time, there's always a catch, right? There's always a, something that you're sacrificing in return for that. Um, you know, sure. in, in this sense, if you receive money from somebody like a label, you are giving up full creative control and any ounce of power that you had over the trajectory of your, you know, direction or artistic approach, you are trading money for you know well i mean you're you're not necessarily totally like i like i never once like for instance with like louis the 14th when we signed our record deal like because i'd already had a record deal with for that convoy situation and i didn't like how it turned out right mm -hmm. i we didn't sign with them until they agreed that i could produce some records you just give me money and then i'll give you a record so right. we didn't actually compromise musically whatsoever we didn't if anything we didn't really have much relationship uh, as far as that creative because like all of our artwork all of this stuff we we 100 percent control and that's good um but then again if they but then if they don't we were at the mercy of them on what they would push and how they would push it and all this sort of stuff and right and this and that i mean and the, the wonderful thing about where the music business is now is that you know yeah i i now control my career 100 percent. you know like mm -hmm. to the point where now like i want to take the next few months and just work on my own solo record and write songs with other people and not score any films for just a minute you know because i've been so busy for for a while because i'm now you know very comfortable i'm very you know i have money i have studio i have my house i have like you know i'm very happy content i have the luxury now of being able to sort of do whatever i want and with the advent of uh the digital sort of uh abilities to to release your music to the world without the gatekeepers being involved in the same way they're right. still there on whether or not this thing promotes this thing if spotify puts you on playlist blah 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 blah, blah. and and getting people to go and hear you is a whole different story but the ability to get your shit out there is there so for now right. like like i can release a record and people at least can everybody can instantly go download it if they know about it which is right. or like hear it or stream it which i think is amazing because the it, it takes a little bit out of it, the old days where it was like to get your your thing in a record store was really difficult you know right and that they were, that was the way that they controlled the world. And now that's sort of been taken away from them. But uh, but now there's so much music, it's hard to get past all the clutter in this and that. But 
very saturated market. <laughs> Definitely. But you can still get this. Uh, but but as an artist, if, like for me, like the thing I care most about is making the stuff and then yep. putting it out and this and that. That's a whole different ballgame. Like but like uh, so I like just sit on tons of music for years and years and years because I just constantly make make music. And so but like it's and it becomes my goal for the last several years has been like, okay now i'm going to release music this year i'm going to you know which that is my goal for this year is to actually start releasing a lot of this stuff but it's great that you can do that um you know and well, yeah and and film filmmaking being in film and stuff has afforded me uh i think a little bit of the uh luxury of being able to sort of do whatever i want now you know because it's a really because I'm constantly asked to do score stuff. And um, so I financially great, you know, and so I can now just do all the music and release music and stuff like that. Not having to worry if anybody's going to there's no even download or make me any money off of it, because yeah, it's definitely very hard to make money as an artist compared to like, probably, you know, when I was like a kid, uh, you know like the beef before spotify and all of that like now spotify if you have you know like a million you know plays it's like a couple hundred bucks or something like that you know so like before back in like the 80s or the 70s or something like that or even the 90s or something if you had a million people that bought your record or your single you'd be pretty set for a long fucking time you know yeah. like nowadays it just means absolutely nothing and there used to be where people pretty much almost like had to buy the whole record if they wanted to like uh hear their song over and over again nowadays you can literally just go oh okay what is it let me listen to it right now oh which i actually <laughs> love as yeah. a consumer i love that i love being able to just at any given time listen to whatever the fuck i want yeah and it's there and it's it's open it's and it's it is a tremendous thing. I mean, there's pluses and minuses. There's it's great the discovery thing. I've discovered so much new music on Spotify that I never would have. Uh, you Spotify know. feeds me the best every Monday. They have that discover playlist, and I sure. find so many great artists. Yeah. Even even artists that only have like twenty thirty thousand monthly listeners. You know, it doesn't sure. have to. That's what I love about. I feel like you and I are similar in the sense where we we want to discover music that aligns with us and and it's great yeah. and it doesn't yeah. have to be this grand you know million plays thing totally like, there's been... fact, i would prefer it wasn't i prefer it was yeah. like yeah you know and there's yeah. there's still like uh i mean there's still so much great music out there that's undiscovered you know that's it. Absolutely. but yeah but i do love love that aspect because there is something really great about discovering a song that you feel like is yours. I, I there's a really great song um, that I fucking love called "Dolly" by Nicky Hopkins. Nicky was famously a part of. He wasn't like a, an official member, but he was. He was. He did all those great piano pieces in the Stones, like Angie and and. Um, but he also is. He was on so many different sessions. Like he's the piano player on "You Are So Beautiful" by Joe Cocker and. Just Love so many it. different. He was like the go-to guy. He was the fucking monster. He was so good, and um, like my favorite piano player probably of all time. And and anyway, he made a solo record in the seventies, and there's a song on it called Dolly. And I remember discovering. I bought the, the actual vinyl years ago, 
just out of like when I was a kid, I used to go down to the record store and constantly I would buy, I'd go to the $10 rack or the dollar racks and buy 10 records almost every day for a good amount of time. I so my that. record collection is immense. And I would, you know, and the guys in the record store, they knew me, we were buddies. And so I would stick the $15 records in the dollar bins and, you know, like it was kind <laughs> of this like wink, wink, you know, Hey, see, right. You know, like, like they it. were cool with that. They were cool with that. So like, but I remember I bought it a long, long time ago and I, but I rediscovered this song maybe like eight or nine years ago. I can't remember, like 2015 or something. And I fucking love it. And I'm, and even though like it was not available on YouTube or Spotify up until about a year ago. And um, then uh, like recently I sort of like went and looked for it again on that stuff. It was only on, I could only find it on the, like on my, the one record I have. And, uh, and then, then I remember it suddenly appeared on YouTube, but it was still only like, still to this day, I think it's only like a couple thousand people saw it on Spotify. It only had a few thousand like listens when it ever got there. And it's also like Nikki Hopkins, like this iconic player for anybody that knows about this guy. Like how is his record? Like nobody even hearing this fucking gem of a song. You should go <laughs> yeah. listen to just Dolly, like Dolly Parton. It's like called Dolly. And, um, It'll it'll blow your mind. The strings on it are so fucking great. It's it's so good. The, piano the details are great. So great. But it was like my little secret treasure. Even even still to this day, it's like my little treasure. Even though like you know he's this big guy, like big. I mean, he, he wasn't like a big artist on his own right. Because but he was. We know everybody knows his playing because it's on so many Brad fucking records. You know. I love that. Yeah, yeah there's I have a Spotify playlist that I've so I've been with Spotify since all the way back to you know high school, like 2015, I think is when I graduated. Yeah. And um I have a running playlist that I've had for about eight, nine years called The List. It's just called The List. Yeah. And every time, you know, maybe nine or ten songs per year. I'm sure sure you have this similar feeling where you hear a song and like you mentioned, like it just feels like yours. It's like speaking to yeah. you and you listen totally. to it every day, 40 times until your brain can't listen to it again. Yeah. Um so I created this playlist called The List. And every time I come across a song like that, it goes straight to the top of the list. And so I have for the last eight years, I have this running list kind of almost based off of these eras that I was in and what that <laughs> track was sure. um and so it's always interesting to go back you know two three years down that list and see like oh that was so cool that that song was yeah. a part of that time or that era um and see these you know also just the you know whatever i was going through in that time period what music yeah. spoke to me sure and, yeah you know because sometimes it's very fun and bright or with this or that or cool yeah. and then and then you get to this little you know three or four track part of the list where it's like kind of darker and i was like oh i was going through some things and that was speaking sure, to me yeah so yeah. It, it's kind of cool to to see that but it just goes to your point where you know you, you can listen to music all the time every day we're listening to music it seems like but there's always going to be those those few per year where you're like god this really is just this it for this me yeah hitting me <laughs> totally hitting like me. No, exactly. And then, you know, it'll come back on every once in a while and you'll hear it and it'll just be like, oh, man, you know, like the, nostalgia. Oh, the yeah, nostalgia, exactly. too, because yeah, then it yeah. brings you back to that. But yeah, music is is incredible. I mean, we gosh, it's just it's the language. To, it's the soundtrack to our life, you know, and, and I think that it's um, it's incredible that we get to experience it and 
And like you mentioned, yeah. Spotify and streaming has given us this opportunity to have access to it all. There's pros and cons, but also, you know, back in the day, you probably, you know, you had to go to a record store. If you wanted to hear a song, you had to go to totally. this or that. So, yeah, no, um, exactly. And it's, you know, like it's that it, it is for a music fan. This is probably the best time. To, to be alive so far Absolutely. because they, because we have it on our fingertips you know like it, we yeah. really do and uh you know yes as an artist it becomes harder and harder to make money um from that that thing you know like i have friends you know that are you know rely so heavily on touring to make money you know or or, right, or march or yeah yeah exactly all that sort of stuff but as far as you being the ability for us all to to release music and this and that you know you just have to find different ways to make money i mean like you know back in the day like I, we turned down so many sinks uh you know a sink is like when your song is played in a movie or in a commercial or this or that we would turn we turned down so many like it's kind of stupidly it, like now because now it's like record companies build their whole campaigns just on whether or not they can get in like a shoe ad on a TV show right. or this or whatever, like, you know, on a commercial or this or that, like their whole can their whole thing is just like that, you know? Um, right. And we were like turning down so many of that stuff. Cause we were like, we didn't want to sell out, you know, that kind of idea. Now that, that, uh, that concept doesn't even really exist anymore. You yeah. know? Uh, well, and you had your, you know, moments or even like I mentioned the being in the the baseball game totally earlier you know those those are still like i it's so funny i had that video pulled up um and one of the comments uh on youtube was a was a kid that said heard this uh, i have it pulled up here it said heard this song on the radio a couple weeks ago instantly made my day and if that wasn't enough some guy who i'm guessing also played that game back in the day then called in to thank the dj for playing it 10 years later and it's the best bit baseball video game and the best song on the game. <laughs> so oh, there you go. It's that, even though uh, like you're, if you're turning down the sinks and stuff like that, it's still like you, you have these moments where it's like people just loved that record. And well, and totally. Well, well now you realize like, it's just about discovery and, and how turning people on. So like nowadays I would never turn down any of those sinks except, you know, there was yeah. a certain point where I realized, wait, what do I care? You know, like right. <laughs> I'm gonna write more music. It doesn't matter to me. Like fuck it. <laughs> this is stupid thinking. And and I and from that moment on, I was just like, whatever, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things we turned down, but in general, it was like, yeah, all right, whatever. I I can yeah. care less. And yeah. I and I think that's probably a healthier way to look at it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, yeah, they're yeah, it's 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 interesting but I, I mean you know music is music for me is just giving me so much in this world yep and i go into ebb and flow in terms of whether or not i listen to too much music outside of making music all day long you know often i won't like to the dismay of girlfriends and stuff like that like listen to music too often uh because i'm just doing uh i'm making it all the time you know or i don't want to get influenced one way or another or i or or more often, I don't want to get inspired when when I I don't want to go spend the next five or six hours in the studio, you right. know, or like something like that. Like, so I have to do a lot to not hear music in my head yeah. to inspire me. So I won't sit there and feel that urge to go try to make something like, you know, um, which but I am I'm actually in a period now where I'm listening to music 
more again. You know, you have been flow with it. It's you really do. But I absolutely. Love it. Well, that's that's good. I, I I really appreciate you taking the time to to hop on and 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 chat. It's been amazing to you know learn about your you know musical journey, your life journey, and and you know what has gotten you and led you to to where you're at now. And I'm also excited for you know the the future of of Jason Hill and the music that you're going to start putting out and um totally. in all the scores and stuff like that. But I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. That was fun. Absolutely, you should come by my studio sometime. I would love Please. to. Yeah. I would love to. I I it's one of my favorite things about working in the music industry obviously i'm like filming and stuff like that but sometimes i'll put the camera down and just close my eyes and listen because i'm in a lot of sessions and a lot of studios and it's and it's just it's it's the core of why you guys are so into what you do is just the music and so i would love to i would absolutely love to well hit me up in a week or two and come on by so anyway awesome. well, well i had a pleasure you know doing this so uh you know thanks for inviting me Absolutely. Well, Jason, it was so great chatting with you and uh, um, we'll, we'll chat soon. I'm going to take you up on that offer. <laughs> All right. Good deal. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks.